comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's good, Aztec fans? It's been a while. There was a holiday break, and admittedly, I have been away from the microphone and the studio for longer than I had originally planned. All that being said, it's great to be back. I hope everybody had a a fun and safe holiday break. I managed to get back to uh, the San Diego area. Where I grew up, I actually grew up in in the Inland Empire, so probably just lost like 20 listeners there, but it's okay. Uh, I grew up in the Inland Empire and I went, you know, to see my family. My brother still lives with my parents and got to see both my mom and my dad. So that was great. I thought about going to the Utah game up at Staples Center. I was pretty close to going, but my mom's birthday is actually right around Christmas. It's a couple days, a couple days away from Christmas. And so uh, we ended up taking my mom out to a birthday lunch instead of going to the Utah game because family's important and it all worked out because sometimes it's nice to be in the stadium or not the stadium in the arena. And other times it's nice to have your own couch to relax on while you're watching basketball. So it's all good there. Before we get started, want to remind everybody to follow like subscribe all the all the you know stuff uh anchor.fm slash aztec breakdown you can find it on itunes you can find it on google Podcasts. you can find me on youtube find me on twitter all the stuff you guys know the drill there's a couple things i want to talk about today before going into the game previews i don't want to make this too long but uh If you've been listening for a while, you know that I can have a tendency to ramble on a little bit. The stuff that I want to talk about is mostly stuff that some of it I've pointed out on Twitter, but Twitter is so hard to introduce context into what you're trying to say because of the character limit, and I don't want to write an essay over Twitter. So a lot of the stuff I save for the podcast. First off, I want to talk about Trey Pulliam. Trey Pulliam has been slowly but surely improving. And it's been nice to see. I've been kind of thinking that there would be one game where it would just kind of start to click. You know, he'd have like this major breakout game. And then after that, he would be good. And that hasn't happened, which for a while was a little bit disappointing because I've been feeling like it should happen. But when you look at the numbers, especially the the advanced numbers, PIPM being my favorite, his numbers have improved both defensively and offensively. He was a major negative on offense to start the season, and he has improved in that regard. And he's above average on offense, and he's even better on defense. And the last game against Utah State, especially in the first half, I thought he played really well. He looked really good on tape. His numbers were solid. I think it was seven points and five assists. So that was awesome. And I think he's showing the type of progress that Dutcher gets out of his players. I think Trey Pulliam is, is the best example of that this year. He's shown that progress, and especially come March time, I think he will still be improved from where he's at 
right now. And that's really encouraging. We can talk about the team defense here for a minute. The team defense has been amazing. And I think they're pretty much across the spectrum, like a top 10 or top 15 defense in the nation, which is really exciting for, for a couple of reasons. One, before the season, I thought defense was going to be the weakness. You know, this team didn't seem to have any good individual defenders. And it's, I mean, you can run a good team defense without good individual defenders because so much of it is about communication and positioning and all this other stuff, helping each other out. So you can have a good defense, but it's hard to have a truly great defense unless you have these really good individual defenders. And we had Nathan Mensa down low. So that was always going to be the starting point. But Yanni Wetzel has been really good down low. There are some metrics that say he's been even better than Nathan Mensa. I wouldn't quite go that far, but regardless, he's been really good. KJ Fagan has been probably one of the better defenders in the conference, which seems like it's saying a lot, especially considering how low I was on his defense to start the season, just from what I had seen. But He's finding ways to impact games when his scoring isn't there. And a lot of that has been on the defensive end of the ball and watching him hassle Sam Merrill. It wasn't just him. It was a combination of him and Malachi Flynn and Adam Seiko. But the most impressive plays I saw on Sam Merrill were came uh, from KJ Fagan. And so watching his defense has been truly amazing based off of what I was expecting at the very least. He's KJ Fagan has greatly exceeded the expectations, but I mean, even aside from that, the, the individual defense has shown up from Fagan, from Seiko, from Matt Mitchell has been improved on defense, Yanni Wetzel, Nathan Mensa. But even then I think the team defense is, it's one of the, uh, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts deals where even with the guys performing well on an individual level, the team defense is still a level higher than that. And why that's encouraging to me is, uh, I mean, it's one of the coaching cliches, but defense travels, you know, and what you see a lot of the times with these teams that rely on three point shots, like the Aztecs kind of do to, to a certain extent, they can score inside with the best of them also. But I think when the Aztecs are at their full gear, they're hitting those three point shots. But when that shot leaves, what do you have to fall back on? And you'll see teams at the college and at the professional level that when that shot leaves them, they have nothing else to go to. They don't have an inside game. They don't have a defense that can keep them in until their shot comes back. And so the Aztecs playing such exceptional defense will keep them in the game against pretty much any opponent. I I haven't I don't watch a lot of the national games. I don't have a lot of time on my hands to watch basketball. It's sometimes even hard to watch the San Diego State games. But I haven't seen a team either in highlights or in a full game that I've thought this team is way ahead of where San Diego State is, especially with San Diego State's defense. So that is absolutely encouraging and raises the floor for this Aztec team a whole lot. Another thing, this is more quick, just thought that I had was there was a play. It was just one play in the Utah state game where Matt Mitchell drove into the lane and he drew help 
and he kicked the ball out. I think he kicked it out to Jordan Shackle, and then Shackle hit the three. And it showed, to me, what it showed was a little bit of development from him as well, similar to the train of thinking with Trey Pulliam, because Matt Mitchell, generally speaking, even this year, if he gets the ball and he starts dribbling the ball, you know he's going to attack pretty much. He's he he makes his decision on whether he's going to pass pretty early, you know. And that doesn't mean he he's a ball hog. That doesn't mean he doesn't pass the ball. He's good at moving the ball and, and switching the sides of the court with the ball, being that guy up top. He's good at those things. But when he catches the ball, if he starts to dribble a couple times, you kind of know he's trying to size his guy up to attack the basket. And so watching him drive in, draw the help, and then kick the ball out, that to me is probably the next step in his development. And that's assuming he can stay as effective and as consistent as he has. I think the weight loss has really helped with that. That was the hope with the weight loss was that it would help with his consistency because he's always been really talented, but his consistency, especially last year in his sophomore year, wasn't very great. And this year he has been very consistent. And so if he can add that dimension, not even to the point of like a Malachi Flynn, but just adding that one extra thing where if the help comes, he can kick it out to somebody else because we have Jordan Shackle on the wing. We have Malachi Flynn on the wing. Yanni can hit the occasional three. They haven't been falling yet, but it is in his history. Same thing with KJ Fagan. Adam Seiko can hit the three. We have all these perimeter players and Matt Mitchell is a bowling ball in the paint and you can't stop him with one guy. And so they're going to need to send two or three guys and that will open up some wide open shots on the perimeter. The point being, I've been really impressed with Matt Mitchell's growth as well. Okay. I'm jumping around with any, without any rhyme or reason here. It's just kind of the way my brain works. I apologize for that. Got a couple more things. First off, I'd like, I'd like to hear from you guys a little bit just to see uh, if this thought is, is valid or if I'm overstepping anything, anything of that nature. But I, at the moment, think that Malachi Flynn has earned, if the season was to end today, he's earned a, a place on the All-American team. Maybe not the first team, maybe the first team. I mean, you can make an argument for it, but for sure the second team and at the very least the third team. I think Malachi Flynn should be on one of those lists. The main argument for that, for from, from my point of view, would be that Malachi Flynn, as I'm recording this, is ninth in the nation in player impact plus minus. And I'm not going to go deep into what player impact plus minus is. I've explained it a couple times. Uh, you can find it elsewhere as well. I'll probably explain it later. But he's ninth in the nation right now in this in this metric that is probably the best one we have available to us. So he's been more impactful than all but eight other players in the nation. And before the Utah State game, he was actually eighth. So he's been in the top ten for a while. And many of the players above him are also big men. Vernon Carey from Duke is one of the players above him. Xavier Tillman from Michigan State is one of the players above him. Some of the players that are player of the year favorites, 
are actually below him. Like Luca Garza is, I think, 11th in PIPM. I can look it up real quick. Uh, Luca Garza is, yes, 11th. Peyton Pritchard is 12th. And those are a couple players that are uh, some of the favorites for player of the year. Cassius Winston is actually uh, seventh, it looks like. So he was the preseason player of the year favorite. Uh, and what this shows is Malachi Flynn is, is right on that level. And on top of that, Malachi Flynn is actually 0. 0.06 points per 100 possessions behind Cassius Winston right now. To be fair, I think Cassius Winston's impact is going to continue to raise. He, you know, he had a rough start to the year with his uh, brother dying at the beginning of the season. Uh, this isn't a Michigan State podcast, but the point is, right now, Malachi Flynn has been playing like a top ten player in the nation, and I think that should be reflected in the All American teams. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. I want to hear what you guys think. And if you agree, let's put this, this uh, ability that San Diego state fans have to just spam like the national media heads just at them and say, Malachi Flynn should be an all American because he's a top 10 player in the country and the numbers support that. So there's my piece on Malachi Flynn. Let me know what you think. If that's maybe a little bit too much or if, that's not enough, um, or if it's just right. The last thing I want to talk about is I want to get into Ken Palm a little bit. Uh, I mean, if you don't want to hear any more about Ken Palm, you can just skip ahead. That's totally fine. The main thing I want to say about Ken Palm is I've noticed there's a lot of uh, just misunderstanding about what it does. And so when people, when I see people that are angry at Ken Palm on Twitter, I get it. Um, but you're just, I, I don't think most of them at least are angry for the right reasons. And here's what I mean. Ken Palm, when it gives a rank to a team, it's not saying this is the rank the team has earned right now. What it's saying is this is the team, the system, sorry, this is the rank the system thinks the team will have at the end of the year, which is tricky because so much can happen and so much can change. And as we see it, it does change. Um, but that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a predictive model as opposed to a reflective model. And so when the Aztecs are ranked, I believe right now, let me look it up real quick. As I'm recording this, they are ranked 16th in the nation. What Ken Palm is saying is San Diego State will finish 16th in the nation as or at the end of the year, which isn't bad. It's less than we think it should be right now. And if you take the, uh, the results that they've had so far, San Diego State should absolutely be higher than 16th. And that's why in a lot of metrics, San Diego State is higher Sixteenth. A lot of these metrics aren't trying to predict the future. They're trying to reflect the present. One of my favorite ones that does that is Haslametrics. Um, Haslametrics has its own flaws too. All, all systems do. But if you want a good reflection of where the team should be right now, Haslametrics is one of my favorites. Uh, the net, the NET, is supposed to be predictive or at least more predictive than the RPI was at the very least, 
That being said, its flaws are it just gives arbitrary values to winning and losing games. And so it reflects your record as well as everything else. Whereas in Ken Palm, the record is totally irrelevant. All that matters is the point spread and how efficient you are on each side of the ball. All that being said, despite San Diego State being 16 in Ken Palm, and I don't have Haslametrics pulled up right now. I'm not going to pull it up. But last I saw, they were sixth. The difference between uh, 16 rank and one rank in Ken Palm was the same as the difference between six rank and one rank in Haslametrics. They were both about 10 points per 100 possessions. So they're not that far off. It's just that Ken Palm is predicting right now, Ken Palm is predicting San Diego State will finish 16 and 2 in conference and finish with an overall record of 27 and 2. And so what Ken Palm is saying is after it loses those two games, San Diego State will be ranked 16th. That's what it's trying to do at least. To Ken Palm's credit, when you when you do the studies and you look at it, about 60% of teams at this point in the season are within 20 spots of where they will finish the season at, which is pretty good. And there's only about 50 teams out of 353 that will move more than 40 spots. So at this point, Ken Palm is, is pretty accurate to what the end of the season will be. The only, the, the, the major thing Ken Palm gets complained about is that it takes data from last year to help make its projections because intuitively that doesn't make sense. And I agree with that hundred percent that intuitively it doesn't make sense. But once again, when you do the math, it actually helps stabilize those rankings better, which is why in rankings that don't do that, you see a lot more, uh, variation after each game. So for example, I'll use the NET again. Utah State was ranked in like the 30s a week ago. And then they lost to, I think they lost to UNLV and they dropped like 40 spots after one game because it doesn't have that stabilizing factor of the previous season. Ken Palm does use that stabilizing factor and it just helps keep things a little bit more stable. Teams, as we have seen, can absolutely make big changes over the course of time. San Diego State has improved like 80 spots since the beginning of the year. Um, But it's just, it's meant to be a stabilizing factor. And in about a week or two, uh, the previous year's data won't be used at all. At this point, the previous year's data is probably adding a game or two to the data. So it's taking 15 and 0 from this year and then adding another game or two based off of an algorithm from last year and all this complicated stuff. It's just meant to increase the sample size slightly to make it more stable. With all that, I know talking about Kempom probably isn't the most entertaining thing, but I try to run this channel in a way where I talk about things that I would want to hear if I was a listener. And to me, knowing how the data works and what it's trying to do is, is very important. So the short version is if you want an explanation for why San Diego state is lower in Ken Palm than it is in other metrics, it's because Ken Palm is saying this is where San Diego state will be at the end of the year. Whereas other metrics are saying this is where San Diego state is right now. With all that being said, 
I'm going to stop, take a quick break, water break, and then when I come back, we'll look at the upcoming games for the Aztecs. Okay, we're back. Time to get into some game previews. We got two games this week. We got on the road at Wyoming, and then we got home at Boise State, which apparently the tickets already sold out for, so that's awesome. We'll start with Wyoming. Wyoming is not a very good team this year. They're currently ranked 297th in Ken Palm, which last I checked was last in the Mountain West Conference. Let's look it up real quick. Yep, last in the Mountain West Conference, three spots below San Jose State. So that's a thing. They're not very good. That being said, they're playing at home. Laramie is like 7,000 feet in the air, something like that. So altitude will absolutely be a factor. Nathan Mensah is definitely out of this game, as is Agueca Rope. So some of the bigger Aztec players are out of the game. One of them being a starter who, before his injury, uh, using the method I had used on my last Mountain West Wire piece, I think Nathan Mensah was the fifth best player in the conference. So losing him is definitely a big blow. If you haven't read that piece yet, go check it out, Mountain West Wire. Um, been writing for them for a couple months now, I think. It's nothing super formal. I just kind of write when I feel like it and they post it and it's cool. Anyway, so missing a couple players, a couple tall players. Wyoming's average height is bigger than the Aztecs. That being said, they only have two players that are 6'8 or taller. So their average height is due to having more players in the 6'5, 6'6, 6'7 range. The player the Aztecs will need to look out for the most is Hunter Maldano. He's, he's I guess, Wyoming's star player, for, for, for lack of a better word. His game is based off of getting to the rim and finishing there, and if not finishing, then drawing a foul. He's also pretty good at kicking it out to, to other people, to shooters or to uh, roll men or cutters, things of that nature. Uh, he ranks 110th in the nation in assist rate right now and sixth in the Mountain West. So he's a good passer. His game is based off of getting to the rim. And so what we will likely see the Aztecs do is just try to wall him off before he even starts his drive, whether that's with one person or if, if he's starting to get around, then having that second person come up and close that gap a little bit before he can get into the paint. Because if you make him a jump shooter, he's not very good. He's he's okay at shooting three-point shots. He's at uh, about 34%. But as a as a two-point jump shooter, he's he's well below average. He's not very efficient. So that will be the key there. Wyoming's offense with Maldano as their lead guy is not very good. It's ranked 337th right now in Ken Palm out of 353 teams. Their defense is about average. It's ranked 166th. It's it's in Ken Palm, and Ken Palm's adjusted defense. It's actually slightly above average. And so scoring would be 
in theory the issue, but it shouldn't be. Um, Wyoming will definitely give San Diego State their best shot. The altitude is in factor, as is the travel, because Laramie is hard to get to, and Ziegler writes a piece seemingly every year about how the Aztecs tried something new, whether they take a, a private plane to a smaller airfield in Laramie or whether they land in a bigger city and then try to bust to Laramie. It seems like every year they go to Laramie, something wrong happens. So that will be a thing. The arena will probably be buzzing. That being said, having the best player on the floor is generally a good predictor of who's going to win a basketball team. And San Diego State should probably have the best six or seven players on the floor. So San Diego State should win this. I'm not saying it will be easy because conference games never are, but San Diego State should be able to to pull this one out for sure. Moving on to Boise State. Boise State might be able to give some serious matchup problems. Now, Boise State... Referencing that Mountain West uh, Wire article I did again, Boise State had, I think, two of the top 10 players in the conference and a third one in the top 20. So they have some talent. I'm kind of surprised that they're in the spot where they're at. They're ranked 110 in Ken Palm. They're, you know, they're a good team, but they're not a great team. They're two and two in the conference with losses to Nevada and New Mexico. So those are the teams that you would generally put in their same grouping if you were going to tier the Mountain West. The thing that concerns me about Boise State is related to their size, at least. So they are they have a greater average height than Wyoming does, for starters. They, similarly to Wyoming, they only have two players that are 6'8 or taller. One of those players is Derek Alston, though who measures in at 6'9", and despite being 6'9", is still a perimeter player. So he's kind of like one of these uh, Kevin Durant guys who's super tall but plays a lot on the wing. Derek Alston can definitely be a matchup problem, and he's basically the guy that makes the Boise State offense go and run. He's not the most efficient offensive player on the team. That would be RJ Williams is the most efficient player on the team who checks in at 6'7". So some good size there as well. And then the other name I think that is important to know is uh, Justinian Jessup, who also checks in at 6'7". Those are the three names to look out for. Boise State is... Above average on both sides of the ball, they're pretty balanced. No side sticks out more than the other. But this matchup with Derek Alston, especially with Nathan Mensa being out, uh, that moves Yanni to the five. And Yanni has surprised me with his foot speed on defense this year, and I think he's been able to keep up with perimeter players pretty well. It would have been nice to have Nathan down low and then Yanni still on the perimeter to check a guy like Derek Alston even if he couldn't 100% keep up with him, just make him work a little bit and then run him into Nathan type of thing. But with Yanni playing center, it will probably be somebody like Matt Mitchell on Derek Alston. And Mitchell has the the uh, the strength 
to combat with Derek Alston, I would think. But Derek Alston is three inches on him and probably even more so with his wingspan. He looks to me like a pretty long guy. So Derek Alston might be able to just rise over the top and shoot, basically. His uh, his two-point jump shots aren't very good. So kind of a similar profile to uh, Hunter Maldano. Derek Alston wants to get to the rim and finish. The difference is Derek Alston also has a better three-point shot. And so that's what you got to worry about. You do have to close out on him. And then if you if you do, if you, when you do close out hard, he can attack that close out and get to the rim. That's what he really wants to do. And just that size at 6'9 is a little bit worrisome. I do think the Aztecs should still be favored, especially at home. We have seen how the Aztecs kind of play to their level of competition, which can be a little bit discouraging. Boise State is going to bring it because they would love to be the first team to give San Diego State a loss, especially in Viejas. I do remember however many years ago it was now, four years, five years. I I don't remember for sure. Three years. Some It wasn't five, but three or four years ago when the Aztecs were playing Boise and Boise broke the streak of, of winning games when you were ahead of five minutes to go. So Boise State has done this type of thing before. They're coached by Leon Rice, who's a good coach. They have some talent. They have some size. I think they can pose a matchup problem. If I was a betting man, I'd still bet for San Diego State to win, especially with that sold-out crowd at Viejas. But of the two games, this is the one that worries me most, which is saying something considering this is the one that's at home without elevation and travel and stuff. That's what I got, and I'll give other, other breakdowns and stuff on the day of the game. Uh, today for me is Tuesday. So tomorrow is the Wyoming game and Saturday is the Boise state game. So look out on, on Twitter for me to post the PIPMs of the players and, uh, the keys to the game and all that stuff. This has been the Aztec breakdown podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to find me on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Patreon, all the stuff. And I will catch you next time, Aztec fans.